0: All right, so we're on page four in the worksheet. And just to, to summarize, we've been looking at 1 John 1, 6 through 10. And if you look at this, this passage carefully, we see three negatives about those who say that they're in fellowship but are not in fellowship. And we see two positive statements about those who are in fellowship that, it, that assures their fellowship. The first positive statement is that our fellowship is assured because of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. All right, It's not because of your good works. It's not because you're a good fellow or a good gal. It's all because of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. First John 1 John 1.7 says, But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So our, our relationship with God, our fellowship with God, it's all based upon God's grace shown to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And when there is an imbalance in our relationship with God, uh, God's grace will restore uh that balance back into the relationship it's not what you do or you don't do it's God's grace that we stand on um, you know the legalists will end up knowing liberty and the libertarians will end up knowing accountability if they would just simply trust in God's grace in their life And what the, what the father, and and I I think I ended with this last point last week, is what, what God the father really desires of his children is that his children walk a mature walk with him. Okay, That they walk a mature walk uh, with him. And that mature walk involves our walking in his light as he is in the light. In other words, we get into his word and we learn about God, what his likes and dislikes are, what it is that God's will is for our life. So we pattern our life, we model our life, we, we regulate our life uh by the light of God's word. It's also a light a life of righteousness because God is righteous. Uh, we should be righteous as well. And it's also a life of of love. It's a walk of love. As God loves, so we are to love. And uh these things um is what John is is really uh, focusing on and the reason why he's focusing it on on all of these things is because of why? Because of certain seducers that have infiltrated the church And these seducers will abound in the last uh, days of the church age. And that's what I've been trying to bring to our attention, okay? Uh, To be aware of these seducers uh, that are out there. Uh, The second positive statement that's found here is that if there is a disruption in the fellowship of a believer who is walking in the light, who is sincere and open before God, if sin is revealed, if sin does show its ugly face, if something goes on, uh, then uh, we have uh, a means, a way that God has provided so that we can maintain this fellowship, uh, keep this fellowship going, um, and that is confession. And that's what I want to talk about uh, today. I want to talk about uh, what this verse means in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, This, is, to me, is a a wonderful verse. Um, If you rightly understand it, uh, it's going to free a, a person from despair. It's going to free a person from being enslaved to guilt feelings. And what it does, it just opens up the way to, to restore that fellowship, to, to keep that fellowship uh, maintained. And uh, we can be assured that uh, God uh, will forgive us simply because of what this verse says. Now, this verse here in verse uh, 9, if we confess our sins, uh, this should be good news. To those of us who have a sensitive nature, all right? Um, those of us who have a sen- sensitive nature, uh, s- there are some of us who become overwhelmed by guilt. Uh, there are some who become overwhelmed uh, with personal guilt. There are some folks who become uh, so burdened uh, with their guilt, uh, even with their, with their shame... Uh, that they even wonder, can God possibly forgive me for this or forgive me for that? Now, I don't know if any of you have ever wrestled with that, but that's a that's a terrible place to be. It really is a, a terrible place to be. And when the enemy catches you in that spot, I guarantee you he is going to uh, dogpile on a person like this, and he will try to keep them uh, enslaved to, to their own guilt uh especially if you're someone who's been exposed to an, a legalistic environment if you've ever been exposed to a legalistic environment that's a very difficult thing or maybe you're you're of a perfectionist attitude right if you've got a perfectionist attitude uh, and you don't permit failure You don't permit failure of yourself and you don't permit failure of others. Uh, This can be a a struggle. This can really be a struggle as far as forgiveness is concerned. Not only will you not forgive yourself or believe yourself forgiven, guess what else will happen? You won't forgive others. You won't forgive others as well. And generally somebody who has this temperament, somebody who maybe have this attitude or this mindset, what they have is a works-oriented relationship with God rather than a grace and faith relationship with God. And that's what we have. We have a grace and faith relationship with God. Uh, sometimes these folks who have a works-oriented relationship with God, and yes, they can even be right here in this good old Bible-believing Baptist church, but they can have a works-oriented relationship with God, and that will bring the, you know, that, that will cause them to have a, a, an overwhelming sense of never measuring up. Never measuring up. You know, never, never obtaining that brass ring, whatever that brass ring is. Never having that peace, even though they know that the Bible says they do have peace with God. Now, does anybody here, don't raise your hand, does anybody struggle with that every once in a while? I think if we're honest, we all do, to one degree or, or to another. So First John nine mentions two wonderful things... About God that, if rightly understood, will bring uh, the liberty and grace to the heart of many of God's people. So the very first thing I think is on your on your study guide, there on page four. Let me make sure. Yep, two wonderful things. Uh, The A is he is faithful. That's your blank. Faithful. To put this simply, God can be relied, that's your word, upon to do as he says and be as he is. He's faithful and he can be relied upon. Alright? The Apostle Paul says of God in his epistle to Titus, he says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You know, so many of us will read 1 John 1.9, and we will admit to it, but then do we truly believe it when we apply it, or do we continue to whip up on ourselves and beat up on ourselves? See, one of the, one of the main matters that John is writing to us about this epistle, in this epistle, is, is the assurance that we have in our fellowship with the Father and with the Son. It's, it's an, it's a, it's an epistle of assurance. What kind of assurance does a person have if they look to 1 John 1-9, but yet they don't believe that it applies to them? There's no assurance there. There's no assurance there. The Apostle John is writing to assure these believers of certain truths that they know. And in the knowing and believing of these truths, then one's fellowship with God, the joy of one's fellowship with God, will be full. Will be full. That's what John desires. That's what God desires. Now, why is John writing about these matters? Why is John even dealing with what we're talking about here in verses 6 through 10? You know, it's because that these truths that are meant to assure us in our relationship with God, they're being distorted, they're being denied, they're being twisted, they're being redefined. How many times have we heard that word? They're being redefined by the immoral Gnostic false teachers and prophets that have infiltrated and have greatly influenced the church today. Regardless of what denomination you hold to. Some of these false teachers and seducers, um, whether wittingly or not, they, they shake the faith of the believers. And they tell us that we're not as dear to God as God says that we are. There are folks out there that will tell you that. That we're not as precious to the Father or to the Son as we may think we are. Right? Um, How could God possibly love a sinner like you? How could God possibly love someone who's always making mistakes, always creating trouble, always being in error? How could he possibly love somebody like you? There are preachers at the pulpit that are preaching this very thing, folks. Why do they say these things? I think part of the reason is to keep their people under their thumb. To keep control over God's people. I mean, Peter talks about the the shepherds, doesn't he? Don't be overlords of the flock of God. There are some pastors that take upon themselves this role as overlord. Overlord. They'll tell us, some of them will tell us that we have to earn God's favor through some form of good work. Or here's a word that some of you might recognize, penance. Right? Or penance, to be acceptable to God. The Apostle Paul warned the church of these types. He said that there were certain folks that would show up that would lead the flock astray. He said in Acts 20, 29 and 30, he says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Boom. That's the reason right there. To draw disciples after themselves. This is contrary to what God's word teaches. Contrary to what God's word teaches. John 4.23 says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is looking for those who worship him in spirit and truth. He seeks after those who admire him and praise him, who long to be in his presence, who long to fellowship with him, who long to delight and, and to worship him. I mean, that's the whole... I shouldn't say that's the whole reason, but that's, that is the reason why Jesus came to reconcile man who is separated from God back unto God. Whatever Adam lost in the garden, Jesus Christ has restored for us. Adam lost that intimacy. He lost that fellowship in the garden. Jesus Christ came to restore that intimacy. But yet you've got men and women telling you that you have to earn that intimacy. You have to earn it. If the Bible tells me that God is faithful to forgive me, then by faith I believe that he is going to forgive me. It's very simple. Irregardless of what a man might say differently. I am to be assured of his forgiveness, not because I have sufficiently flogged myself mentally, right? Well, I do a lot of that. Not because I do that. Not because I've reached a certain state of self-loathing. Surely God will forgive me now, right? Right? Not because I've uh, afflicted myself with this personal unworthiness and, you know, throw myself in the dust. and No, it's not due to my remorse. It's due to God's grace. It's due to God's grace. It's not because I've worked myself into a state of unworthiness in order to gain God's forgiveness. It's because God says he'll forgive me. Because God says he'll forgive me. Now, okay, i got to be careful here. There is, a, there, is, there is a place for remorse, okay? There is a place for remorse. There is a place where you regret, you know, and you recognize the gravity of your sin. There is a place for that. Uh, there is a place where you should be ashamed or you should feel disappointed about yourself. Oh, you know, there, why did I do, you know, there is a place for that. What I'm saying is don't get yourself imprisoned in that. Don't become a prisoner to that. Um, you know, we don't want to carry a flippant attitude when we go uh, concerning confession either. Uh, there, this is the mindset of the libertarian. Uh, this is the mindset of my friend that one time who was caught in adultery. And his defense was, I am washed in the blood of the lamb and therefore no longer accountable for what I do. That's, that's not the way to look at it either, folks. So remember, I'm talking extremes. We want to avoid the extremes. Grace always brings balance. What we have is a, is, a, is a God of grace and a God of love, and if we owe God a debt, it's a debt of love and gratitude. If we owe God a, a debt; it's a debt of, of, of love and gratitude. And what I hope to highlight is God's grace and His mercy. Uh, it's a re- you know First John one nine should should bring about worship and thanksgiving in your heart not this remorse not this remorse now i say all of this because i mentioned the seducers and i'm always talking about extremes and so i'm going to go to an extreme to give you an example uh, one of the chief benchmarks of the religious gnostics in most denominations whether christian or not is the concept of penance penance That's the word I'm familiar with. Uh, it's the performing of good works for restitution in order to atone for one's sin. Okay? And you even hear that on, you see that on television programs and movies and you read it in magazines and books. You atone for one's sin by something you do. To appease an angry God in order to gain forgiveness, and you have to do something some sort of restitution. And this is so deeply ingrained in the minds of so many, even Bible believers will think this way. They'll even think this way. Uh, in the Catholic Church, that's uh, I was raised in the Catholic Church, that's why I use them as an example. But in the Catholic Church, this is referred to as purification atonement. Now, immediately a red flag should go up because what did we just read about in 1 John 1 7 that if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin Uh, 1 John 2 1 through 2 talks about Jesus Christ being our advocate and our propitiation and I'll get into that when we get there um So I'm cleansed, not because of something I do, it's because of someone who died for me. Now this is a specifically Catholic dogma, or doctrine, but this has crept into even Bible-believing churches. This purification atonement, according to the catechism, and yes, I have a catechism book in my house, Says um, it. Uh, it uh, in order to accomplish this, it's accomplished in various ways. Talks about traditional forms of prayer, fasting, and alms giving, as well as revision of life, examination of conscience, spiritual direction offered by the priest or pastor, acceptance of suffering and the endurance of persecution for the sake of righteousness. All of these means plays into one's. Atonement for their sin. Now, is it wrong to pray? Is it wrong to fast? No. No. In, in the proper context of the Christian life, many of these things are good. They're biblical. But when you take those things and you make them a requirement for your atonement, for the washing away of your sin, then there is the problem. There is the issue. That goes contrary to God's word. That goes contrary to God's grace. That goes contrary to the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And we see this concept of penance or this... Uh, purification, atonement played out in all sorts of different religions in the world. The Hindus practice it. The Muslims practice it. Uh, you know, it just, it's everywhere. You see it everywhere. And they're taught that man must earn God's forgiveness through some act, some deeds, some penance, some good work. Being raised as a Roman Catholic, I recall going every Saturday to go confess my sins to the priest so I'd confess all my sins that I knew of and then the priest behind the screen uh, he would give me absolution and then he'd give me a list of prayers and how often I needed to say those prayers and so I had to say so many Our Fathers and so many Hail Marys and so many Glory Bees so I'd go home and during the week that's what, and I even kept a little tally sheet I wanted to make sure I said the right number of Our Fathers and the right number of Hail Marys and the right number of Glory Bees. And then I'd show up that next Saturday and do it all over again. But I honestly believe that with my saying of these prayers, God was forgiving me. And oh, don't you dare miss a day in saying a prayer. Because all of a sudden, oh man, so what, what did I do? That next day, I doubled the prayers to cover the day that I lost. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? But even in Bible-believing churches, there is this mindset. There is this mindset. In some congregations, there is this mindset, there is this... Idea in their minds that they have to earn their forgiveness. They have to earn their forgiveness. And it all depends on the church you attend. If you're attending a legalistic church, you'll get that impression. You'll get that impression. In some churches, the messages are more about good works and faithful giving and church attendance all of these external things regarding uh church all of these have to be observed they're almost as much of a sacrament in a bible believing church as some of the things in the catholic church don't you dare violate these things because if you violate these things then you've fallen out of fellowship You're living in sin. I know a local church whose pastor made his deacons and other uh, ministry leaders sign a contract of giving. And these deacons and these ministry leaders had to turn in their tax forms so the pastor would know what they made that year And then he would determine the 10% that he expected them to give. And if they did, if they failed in giving that 10%, then they were, they lost their position. They lost their position. If one failed to, this is his terminology, if one failed to repent, then they lost their position. But if they did their penance and made up for the difference, then they kept their position. They kept their position. Folks, this is why we need the washing of the word. We need to flush out this residue of this bad teaching and these twisted applications. There's a lot of Bible ch- churches that, that, that if you don't dress like we dress and if you don't eat what we eat, and if you don't church, attend church the way we attend church, and if you don't read what we tell you to read or pray like we tell you to pray, or, or do this or don't do this, don't go there or go there as we do, then you're in sin. You're out of fellowship. You're in sin, you're out of fellowship. Religion always focuses on the externals, folks. Always focuses on the externals. Even in good Bible-believing churches, the, ex- the inclination is always about the externals. And the externals obscure the eternal. Every time. Every time. For many, it's more about the programs of the church or the methodology than the Theology that's what defines them is their methodology that's what, they, that's what they constitute fellowship on are you jumping through our hoops are you stepping in our steps are you doing what we expect you to do for, for many it's more about the programs of the church than it is a person's relationship with God again I'm talking extremes Okay, understand I'm talking extremes. The Apostle Paul had to confront this uh, within the churches of, of his day all the time. There were those who were coming into the church and they were setting down a legalistic platform. That unless you stood on this legalistic platform, then you weren't either saved or you weren't in fellowship or something. Colossians 2.18, he says, Let no man beguile you of your reward and of voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increases with increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not. Which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And it's interesting to me that Paul wrote this uh, not only to the to the Colossian church, but in Colossians 4:16 he says, "What I uh, cause that it be read also at the church of the Laodiceans, and ye likewise read the epistle from the Laodiceans." So on your study guide, yes we're back to our study guide this is so ingrained ingrained in the minds of many of God's people that they become enslaved to their own guilt ingrained enslaved always living defeated lives always seeking to do something or be some way in order to earn forgiveness and God's acceptance. Even in good Bible preaching churches, there are people who are entrapped by this overwhelming sense of unworthiness as though they have to earn God's forgiveness. So your words are ingrained, enslaved, defeated, seeking, and earned. In case anybody missed that. A lot of God's people have been trained to have a works-based relationship with God rather than a faith and grace-based relationship with God. Ephesians 2, eight and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then somehow we get twisted around and it's by works that we keep this grace of God. But verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Our relationship with God is not based upon our good works. Our good works is a life lived in appreciation for what God has done for us. It's a life of gratitude for the great gift that God has given us. It's not meant for us to be accepted by God. Ephesians 1-6 says, For we are accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in the beloved. We stand on grace. Not on works. If someone may fail to measure up to a particular methodology, or if they don't happen to fall in line with a particular program, or some other man centered way of doing things, then they're made to feel unworthy, they're made to feel unwanted, they're made to feel unforgiven, they're made to feel out of fellowship. because there are still those who lay aside the commandments of God and teach the doctrines of men yes in the Catholic religion and yes in Baptist churches instead of trusting in God's faithfulness to forgive they're taught instead they have to earn his forgiveness by being faithful to a certain methodology you know that's true folks you know that's true You know, when, when somebody teaches that, I often wonder, okay, whose, whose acceptance am I here, or am I trying to earn here? Am I trying to earn God's acceptance or am I trying to earn your acceptance? Some man's acceptance. I've been under a pastorate that's, that was that way. I had to earn that pastor's acceptance. And they made it sound like, it was equal with God's acceptance it's not a good place to be not a good place to be First John 1.9 tells me if we confess our sins what is confession? well I love simple things confession is simply being in agreement with God about your personal sin nothing convoluted Hey, hey, God, <laughs> I was dead wrong with what I just said or what I just did or what I failed to do. It's just being in agreement with God that you are wrong. <laughs> How can that be? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it is. Psalm 51.3 says, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee, the only. Have I sinned? and done this evil in thy sight that thou might be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest no dancing around in the darkness no denying your sin no claiming you know well it's not really that bad is it no justifying it just open honest yes God I sinned I'm wrong you're always right I admit, I confess, I have sinned against you. And yes, there may be remorse. And yes, there may be shame. And yes, there may be contriteness and in, in, in a humble attitude. That may be part of it. Hopefully there is, there is a part of that there. You know? But it's just open confession that yes, I goofed up, I sinned, I was wrong. No hoops to jump through, no performance of good works, no list of prayers to need need to be said, no penance. Just open, honest confession. That's all that's required. That's all that that's all that's required. You guys understand what I'm saying? Okay. Usually such peace comes in, but you don't have time to hang around. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, but there are some poor folks that just weigh themselves down with this sense of unforgiveness, this sense of unforgiveness, but yet the wonderful thing about God is that he is faithful to forgive us. All he asks is, Is that we confess, be in agreement with him on our sin. And it says he's faithful to forgive us. So it's not my penance, it's not my prayer saying, it's none of that. It's his faithfulness that forgives me. That's what we trust in. That's what he says. Don't need to add on or take away from that. Then there's a second wonderful thing about God. And this should be on your study guide. Letter B. He is just. He is just. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Just. Because of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ mentioned in 1 John 1.7, there is no compromise in God's ju- on God's justice on his part. There's no compromise. 1 John 2.12 says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Not for your good works, not for your penance, but for his name's sake. I believe this is the reason why John doesn't include the word in repentance in this verse in First John 1 John 1.9. And I've heard pastors and preachers include repentance in First John 1 John 1.9. I don't read it. I don't know what Bible they're reading from, but I don't read it here. And I think there's a reason. Why? Because John doesn't want us to miss this. This is contrary to the false Gnostic doctrine that teaches about uh, self-atonement. self Now think of it this way. In the mind of the Gnostic, repentance equals works equals atonement. Now I guarantee you, if John were to write repentance in here, I guarantee you there would have been some fella who would become the judge of how much you've repented and have you repented enough for it. They do it right now. And the word repentance is not even in this verse. Oh, I can't think God's forgiven you because I don't believe you've repented enough. Well, who are you to judge? That's between me and God. Who are you to judge how much I've repented or not? or, or not? It doesn't say anything about repentance here. It's confession and he's faithful and just to forgive us. A reason for our forgiveness and the basis of our fellowship is due upon, is is due what Christ has accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Not how much I repent or don't repent. God's not just because I've repented enough. He's just because my, the penalty of my sin landed on Jesus Christ. You know, some men may never forgive us, and some men may hold over our heads some transgression. But God never will. God never will. God doesn't always chide. Remember, I read that in Psalms 103. He doesn't always chide us. Well, boy, I tell you what, your brother and sister will always chide you. Yeah, it's always people. It's always people. You'll never be able to repent enough in the eyes of some people. Never. Well, I'm not answerable to them. I'm only answerable to God. So on your study guide, what a liberation and great assurance it is for us knowing that Christ has paid the price and based upon Christ's atoning blood, God is just in forgiving my sin. Liberation, assurance, and based upon. Romans eight thirty-one. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? he that spared not his son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things including forgiveness who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect it is God that justifieth who is he that condemneth it is Christ that died yea rather that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us so on your study guide like I have this illustration up here the believer stands in grace through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and not on his or her personal merit before God if I had to stand on my personal merit before God whether I'd be accepted or not I would have lost that position five minutes ago I would have Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then he says in verse 24, We always do Romans 3.23, don't we? What does it say after that? "...being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus." He is faithful and just... To forgive us. I believe if a child of God truly understands and believes what God has provided for them in Jesus Christ, that when they approach this first John 1 9, they won't treat 1 John 1 9 as a card blank or a get out of sin free card. If they truly understand what Christ has done what God has provided for them I don't think they'll approach this verse in that way but you know that's the fear of your legalists that's why they always try to tack on to this repentance and all these other things no teach them the truth about it and let the truth have its perfect work If this is an attitude that somebody has as they approach First John 1, 9, that attitude is reflected right there in verses 6 and verses 8 and verses 10. These are people who don't understand or fully appreciate the seriousness of the matter. Very flippant. Very flippant. This reflects an attitude of immaturity versus maturity. An attitude of ignorance rather than knowledge. Carnality versus true spirituality. Libertarian license rather than sincere acknowledgement of personal accountability. And legalistic bondage rather than liberty in Christ. I know that's a mouthful. But that's what it is. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That was one of the very first verses I memorized. Coming out of the Catholic faith. That was one of the very first verses I memorized. And then the follows. Verse two, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It does not say by whom we have access by penance or good works or by repentance. No, we have access by faith into this grace. We stand on grace. We stand on grace. So on your study guide, because God is just, this is why we have such great assurance in God's forgiveness. For his forgiveness is based upon justice, is your word. Justice being demanded due to our sin, being, okay, this is an archaic term, meted, M-E-T-E-D, out upon Jesus Christ on the cross. In other words, our penalty, our guilt was placed on Jesus. That's what it means. Our guilt was placed on Jesus. Jesus. Instead of God's righteous justice falling on our heads like it should, like it rightly should, it fell upon the head of Jesus Christ. It fell upon the head of Jesus Christ. How can you approach 1 John 1.9 with that understanding and take that verse flippantly? How can you do that? Jesus Christ voluntarily paid the price on our behalf. Isaiah 53.5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Second Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The libertarians abuse God's grace and the legalists alter God's grace. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So on your study guide, his forgiveness is not earned as in some type of repentance or penance, but is freely given just like your salvation is freely given it's freely given to all who openly and sincerely confess their sins oh what fellowship oh what joy divine we have because of Jesus Christ can you see why the works based Gnostics will attempt to divert your attention away from God's grace that's what they do that's what they do it's because they want to divert your faith from Christ they want to hold you captive in their system under their methodology they want to keep you earning God's forgiveness because that keeps you enslaved under their control yet the Bible teaches me that Jesus Christ is the one who earned my forgiveness. He's the one who earned my forgiveness. And because Jesus Christ has paid the wages of my sin by his death, God can be faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. It's all about Jesus, folks. It's all about Jesus. Can you begin to see how this applies more to fellowship than to salvation? You see why I'm, I, when I think that they start stressing salvation over fellowship, I think they miss the mark. I really do. I think they miss the mark. It's more about our fellowship. Those who are saved, it's more about our fellowship with God than it is about our salvation. Or proving you're saved. Or proving you're saved it's all about our sanctification it's all about our growth God wants us to grow up he wants us to grow up he wants adult children he wants us to grow up and a part of fellowship is worship how can you worship a God who's always holding your sin over your head but we can worship a God who's willing to forgive and is, in ju- and is just in doing so because of Jesus Christ now I don't know about you guys but that just fills my heart with worship rather than dread so based upon these two truths about the Father and that he's faithful and he's just I can know with certainty that I am forgiven and so can you so can you? I think I'm going to get done. How far are you going? I'm just going to finish verse nine. <laughs> now, if that's not enough to curl your toes, look what the rest of verse nine says. First John one nine: If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from some of our righteous unrighteousness. Is that what it says? Oh, it says all, doesn't it? All. So on your study guide, nothing is left uncleansed. Not only what the light has revealed, and we openly confess, but also that which we cannot see is cleansed. All unrighteousness means all unrighteousness. This is that continual, effectual washing of the blood of Jesus Christ that has redeemed us. It just it washes away all of our sins, folks. It's all covered. It's all covered. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You know, these groanings, they may be due to being persecuted because of your faith on the job or at school. Or it may be due to some hardship you're experiencing in, in this life under the sun maybe some situation that, you, that you're involved in that, that it just seems like there's no way out and it's not of your own doing well why not apply this verse to our greatest infirmity what, what do you think is our greatest infirmity that we deal with on a daily basis we've been talking about it it's our personal sin it's our sin nature. I don't know about you guys, but that's, that's, that to me is a great infirmity. It's that old Adamic nature, always wanting to go contrary to God's will. Always wanting to step out of the light and into the darkness. That's our big infirmity. And yet we've got an intercessor within us, the Holy Spirit of God, who recognizes that and sees that and prays for us. Intercedes for us on behalf of that. Ephesians 3.20 says now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us on study guide. So when we do confess what the light has revealed, God goes above all that we ask or think and forgives and cleanses us. Even, a, even that unrighteousness is your word that is there in our hearts, even though we are yet unaware of it being there. Because it's always there. As long as we're in this flesh, it's always there. But even that is covered. Don't we serve a wonderful God? His cleansing is total and complete. What was the last word? Unaware. So this should be a, a, an Assurance. This should be an assurance to the believer who desires to walk in the light as God is in the light. This should be an assurance to the believer who desires to be in fellowship with God to not become overwhelmed because of their own own sin and their own sin nature, but know that God has provided for them a way to maintain this fellowship and to deal with that sin. We've got the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and we've got that confession that we can be in agreement with God concerning our sin, but that guarantee, that assurance, that He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Amen. Okay. Jeff, how does God deal with, um, with uh, repeating sin? Like-